Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 57. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. Exciting times. Matt, what are you up to these days? Uh, I just got my teeth fixed. My my forefront teeth on the top row uh, were very jagged and worn thin because of all the clenching and grinding. And It's because you do a lot of pirate chokes, right? Where you put the lapel in your mouth and you use it as a handle? I actually have done that in the past, although I probably won't do it anymore because I'm scared them gonna ruin them you have fancy teeth now so you don't want to do that they look great now yeah that whole pirate choke game plan i would not recommend that because i've heard stories of people who have put the lapel in their mouth and then the other dude has yanked it and you know sometimes the teeth come out with that so gotta be careful if you want to use your mouth like a dog to try to eat a lapel it's maybe not advisable also bacteria that's also true pretty gross but i have done it in the past hey we all like to chew on a gi now and then and speaking of which Today, let's talk about direct and proxy control. So we mentioned this topic on a prior episode. For those who are not familiar with the definition, these are Rob Bernanke terms, and you know that because they sound all fancy pants and sciency. So of course, they're Rob Bernanke terms. You speak so well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when we talk about direct control versus proxy control, this is really a fancy way of saying you grab a dude versus you grab a dude's clothing. That's really ultimately what it means. Basically. Yeah. Direct control means you are latching onto your opponent's body directly and trying to use that to manipulate them. Proxy control means you're not necessarily grabbing their body, but you're grabbing something that is tied to their body. So in the context of jujitsu, that is going to mean their lapel, their collar, their belt, their pant leg, their sleeve, basically their gi. So no gi is obviously primarily based on direct control. Although in MMA, there are actually some weird rules where you can grab your own shorts or put your hand inside your own glove, but it's really an exception to the rule. Gi is where you start applying proxy control a lot. Mm. And proxy control is tricky because it really changes up a lot of the game. And a lot of the mental models that we've discussed in the past, they're not so cut and dry when you add lapels and collars and sleeves into the mix. So Matt, maybe you can kick this off for me. I mean, we've given the definitions here as to what direct control is and what proxy control is. We know the definitions, but why does it matter? As a grappler, now that we have these terms, what does it, how does this really change the way that we spar and the way that we compete? Well, like you mentioned, it's mostly for gi training. So uh, if you're primarily a no-gi grappler, you probably don't deal with things like proxy control too often. But Unless you're a hair puller. That's right. Or you pull your own hair that's true. to defend a submission. But um, yeah, if, if you train in the gi, and especially now with all these different types of lapel guards and things like that, and of course, just like classic spider guards, collar and sleeve, that type of stuff, there's going to be lots of different 
lapel grips. So I've sort of wrote, written a few notes and and a few categories of how of how um, you know proxy control breaks down to my best knowledge. So uh, one would be controlling a lever. Uh, two would be controlling your opponent's posture. Three would be controlling the rotation of your opponent's torso. Four, you can fix a grip as a placeholder. Five, you can use it for submissions. And six, you could use a combination of proxy and direct control. So uh, let's just talk about the first one, controlling a lever. So I think one of the most basic examples would be like either a sleeve grip or a pant grip. Um, And there's many different ways. What's kind of cool is, you know, even at Black Belt now, I'm learning always new ways that you can, you know, just slight differences in grips and maybe even just rotating your wrist a certain way adds a huge dynamic detail to a certain grip, depending on what you're doing. Um, For example, one of the things that I learned from Jonathan Thomas is he plays a lot of spider guard collar sleeve and stuff like that. And when he takes a cuff grip off the, off the, um, from the open guard, he tends to wind his wrist almost upside down and what it does or not up right side upside down actually palm up and what it does is it kind of tightens up the wrist which is kind of an interesting detail because you know usually throughout my journey playing spider guard i just thought if i grab the call uh the cuff that's going to be enough mm-hmm. but you know accenting your wrist wrote getting rotation with the grip a lot of the time it can wind it really tight and make it even more difficult for your partner to to disengage um another thing is using a grip as a frame so if you get a sleeve grip or even a lapel grip for that matter, you can use that as a frame so that your partner can't pass, can't achieve certain positions. And also you can t- uh, use certain grips, like if I have a, a sleeve grip in the closed guard, depending on what I'm trying to do, if I pummel my forearm in front of the grip, I can prevent you from pummeling your hand back inside. So, you know, it's 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 pretty diverse how you can use these grips to create different effects yeah this is something that has come to my attention over the last few years as an area of massive annoyance (laughs) as the guy trying to pass the guard the guy in the bottom not even getting into complicated stuff like worm guard or spider guard but if the person just grabs your lapel and basically like ties it to their leg and pushes it out or if they just kind of stiff arm you with the lapel in their hand it acts as a pretty strong frame it's kind of a weird angle because it's your lapel right it's not like they're grabbing your arm where it's easy for you to just pummel out of it and the other issue with the lapel is it's so easy for your opponent to just grab it from anywhere if someone wants to grab one of my arms or one of my legs i mean you know i I have the ability to pivot i have the ability to move out of the way i can break those grips without too much difficulty unless they have like just crazy gorilla strength but if someone grabs your lapel it gets really really hard to break them to break that and on top of that if you succeed they can just grab it again or they can switch to a sleeve like it's Mm. so grippy in the gi game and the lapel is always sitting there it's always dangling and one of the things you realize doing modern gi jujitsu is it's not sufficient to just be aware of where your arms and legs are. You've got to be aware of where your lapel is, where your sleeves are, where your pant legs are, where how much belt is. <laughs> where your belt is, how much slack there is in your clothing. Yeah. When you're just training nogi, there are basically five levers for you to worry about. You know, your head, your arms, and your legs. Just don't let Uki grab one of those. But in in the gi, it gets way more complicated because there are just so many other things that can be latched onto. And as you start to get more experienced you realize that you need to be aware of where your clothing is at all times because it is very very hard to defeat one of those gi grips once it gets latched in yeah like a sleeve grip you know if you go for my sleeve and i recoil my arm backwards it denies you of the grip but 
that doesn't necessarily work with the lapel. The yeah, lapel yeah. will be dangling there sometimes if you if you uh, free it from my belt. So it's like I don't really have it's not really connected to a part of my body that I can just retract. Yeah. So if you get a hold of that, it can be a real pain in the ass to try and get that grip out. You kind of have to either prevent the grip from happening or strip the grip through the seam in the person's fingers, yeah. which depending on their grip can be really difficult. Yeah, or somehow change angles so that the grip is no longer useful. But that can be really hard if the guy's got you all tied up with your gi. It can be very, very hard to just change angles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to your point, one of the things with the lapel is that it is loose. When someone grabs your sleeve, it's probably going to be a pretty tight grip just due to the fact that there's not a lot of slack. So that means you can feasibly break a sleeve grip without too much trouble. But the trick with the lapel is that because it's so loose, it's hard to just yank it back. It's hard to retract your lapel. So if someone gets a good grip on your lapel, you've got to really think in order to get out of there. Like you're in pretty dire straits, whereas if it's just a collar or a sleeve grip, at least a grip break is feasible. I find personally that if I'm sparring with someone who's playing worm guard, for example, it's a lot harder to break out of that lapel grip. Yeah, if if like the way Keenan sort of breaks down his system is there's the intermediary phases of the lapel guard where he has the lapel but hasn't actually entangled one of your legs yet or gotten gotten into any of his offensive positions. He's it's just a handle. It's literally just a handle that he's sort of using to set up his next play. And um, I've, I'm finding that the best way to prevent worm guards and things like that is just do not let your opponent once he has the lapel do not let him entangle a leg with the lapel yeah. right um once or even going beyond that if you can avoid it don't let him get the lapel that's, or, that'd be even or, or deal with it immediately i mean i spar yeah. with a guy who's very wormy <laughs> and yeah. i'm just constantly aware of the fact that he's always going for my lapel and i've got to be on top of that if i'm trying to pass and he sneaks around and grabs my lapel and does something with it i've got big trouble so i have to immediately catch him at the gate before he's able to get a strong control of that lapel yeah they, you know they say prevention is the best cure right so preventing that grip would be would be ideal um the, the whole thing about the the lapel system that keenan has is once once he gets into one of the positions it's kind of it's not over but you know the chan- the the match is definitely in his hands now and you're you're very you know multiple steps behind you have to untangle and just first of all not get swept right so just like uh collar grips and lapel grips and things like that that can break your balance the lapel uh the uh the actual just the lapel grip itself can be used to generate kazushi as well and that's a big part mm-hmm. of how he sets up his positions is always again anytime you're playing open guard gear no gi off balancing is the the key to being offensive right so you can definitely use that lapel to create kazushi yeah and i find that another thing that is interesting about using the lapel as a lever it is a lot easier to get power leverage with a lapel or with with the gi versus using direct control in a lot of cases i mean for example if i'm sparring with someone who's got a hundred pounds on me it may be very very challenging for me to grab their arm and move their arm but i don't care how big you are if i get a good control of your lapel i can really get leverage over top of you right it's not going to be a problem so i think that's one of the reasons why using lapel is so beneficial especially if you're fighting up weight classes is because this strategy with the exception of maybe some things like spider guard which i'm not so sure about but uh, using the lapel especially scales up very well to higher weight classes. You can use that against mm-hmm. body types of almost any size, at least from my experience. Yeah, and a lot of people still don't know how to defend worm guard or don't play it. So 
a lot of the time it can make an explosive passer sort of stop dead in their tracks and think only about defense, which is great, right? One thing I like about playing the lapel game is that um, uh, basically I've mentioned before, it's just like an extra guard. Like it's like a front line that you can add on to your pre-existing jujitsu game. Mm -hmm. So if you lose the lapel grip, you still have all your other guards and the lapel grips actually seamlessly fit into tons of different scenarios from the open guard. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good thing to learn. And I I think in the next five years, you're going to see, it's going to be like, it's going to be one of those things where kind of everybody knows how to play lapel guards and worm guards. Just, it's, it's just kind of the natural progression. We're seeing that it is effective in, in competition and it is frustrating. You know, it's like 10 years ago when the Barambolo was just sort of coming out, not a lot of people knew what, how to defend it, knew what was going on. And now everyone sort of knows it, at least in the competitions mm-hmm. uh, well, stage. I think that a lot of the lapel stuff is as a long-term strategy, far better than the Barambolo because the, the Barambolo has some issues, right? It's very risky. It requires a lot of effort. You yeah. can get injured doing it. And once the guy knows how to shut it down, there you go. It requires you to go upside down in almost a compromising position yeah, unless yeah. you're an absolute specialist at that. Exactly. Whereas the lapel is like a great way to manage distance. Yeah. And if you lose it, you don't really lose anything. There's almost no risk, right? Yeah. You know, you mentioned that it gives you another layer of guard. And that's a, a great point is normally when you're talking about guard, you know, you've got, you're kind of like hand fighting at first. And then if the guy starts to pass, you're focused on retention. But if you play a good lapel game, you've got that layer even before you really get into arm fighting, right? Like even before you get into trying to go for arm drags from a distance, you can just latch onto someone's collar or someone's lapel. And that gives you one more layer of the onion of your defense that your opponent has to peel back. And like you said, um, it's very, very hard for your opponent to compromise you by when you're playing a lapel game. You know, if you grab the lapel and they're able to neutralize it, you didn't give up position. It's not like going for a barambolo. You haven't hurt yourself anywhere. It's not a committed technique. You grab the lapel. If it doesn't work, you let it go. You're not in any harm. Mm -hmm. So it's a super useful strategy. And I think that a lot of this lapel stuff, unlike some of these other techniques, I think the lapel stuff is going to be part of the game for decades to come. I oh, I sure. think it's going to be expanded upon. I don't think it's a fad that's going to just disappear at some point. No, of course not. And that's that's a great thing about jujitsu is when you see stuff work at the highest level, then you pretty much have to you have to learn it, right? You can't you can't be going into competitions and not know what's going on. Or if your opponent's a really good worm guard player and you don't know anything about it, then you know you got some problems. So you mm-hmm. definitely you know people. Will, will catch on it's it's funny too like when i teach it at my school and i'm no i'm not a worm guard expert at all i'm actually just sort of learning it but i'm sharing it with the guys in my gym so we can kind of learn it all together and when I, when i'm in a room and i first show it everyone's just sort of like snickering and laughing i'm like okay this is the ringworm guard everyone's like oh my oh my god like really this is what we're learning and then by yeah. the end of the class they're like that was really cool like, yeah that, that was actually really uh, effective because then once you set up a a really dominating position like reverse Della worm, which is basically Keenan says like the best position you can get mm-hmm. to for the lapel series. Uh, you, you realize how powerful that position is. And it's mm-hmm. um, like you said, it works great on big guys too. Yeah. Uh, it's just getting there. That can be kind of the struggle. So again, constantly off balancing and having, having your sequences and just obviously maintaining your, your intermediary guard. That's sort of the key I've, I'm finding to, to getting to those positions. Yeah. I remember when I first saw worm guard and my initial thought when it was being demoed was this is ridiculously overcomplicated and silly. And then I tried it. 
And right from the first time I tried it, I thought this is actually super intuitive and easy. And it makes way more sense than a lot of the other proxy control game. Like after playing Ring, uh, sorry, Worm Guard for even just a small amount of time, I was kind of left thinking, why were, why did we spend all of these years learning stuff like Spider Guard when this stuff just seems way more intuitive and safe and just superior across the board? Uh, I think that a lot, and also it's very applicable for self-defense, right? Unless you're sparring with a naked dude, you can probably grab onto his clothing to some extent, right? (laughs) (laughs) It is applicable for self-defense. Hold on, stop punching me. I'm going to undo your jacket. Well, I mean, I don't know. Like, I I think that if you were on the ground, you could absolutely tie someone up with worm guarding. They're not going to get off and get a lot of power on you if you have both of their legs tied up, right? It's going to be really, really hard. I mean, it is opportunistic, right? Like, in a a real self-defense situation, if you're taking punches, what are the chances you're going to undo their lapel and get a grip? Now, if if it happens to be there... Yeah, it's totally available, right? But but if it's well, if that, it's that's kind of there, worm guard in a nutshell, right? Because it you, is, yeah. If you catch, you know, if you try to pull it early in the match before the geese even come loose, it will be a little bit harder than if it's just flapping around there because it's already come out of the belt. Yeah. So, the thing about any kind of clothing based game is. There are restrictions around it, right? Where is your opponent's lapel at the time? You know, if you can't get to the lapel easily, it might shut down a lot of that game, at least for the time being. And also, it depends on the fit of the guy's gi. You know, if the guy is wearing some, like, European slim fit modern gi, or if he starches it like a judoka and it doesn't even bend, it can be hard to play a lot of the stuff. Mm -hmm. But... That said, it's a guard of opportunity. And if the opportunity is there, it's a very powerful guard to play. Mm-hmm. And essentially, I mean, direct control is just not as sustainable as a grip as a proxy yeah. control. Like a proxy it's easier control, to pummel out of direct control. For sure. Like if I'm going to do a technical stand and I have your foot, there might be a better chance that you could extract your leg as opposed to if I have a pant grip. If I yeah. have a pant grip, then even if your foot is trying to get away and my hands are I have a nice grip on your pants I'm going to be able to maintain that grip a lot yeah, easier yeah. so I think that the only type of direct control that is just a like a total no-brainer is head control if you can get the guy's head or his neck like it's going to be a struggle for the other guy to do basically anything now on the topic of the head and the neck Matt I think you also wanted to talk about posture breaking in yeah. the context of direct versus proxy yeah so in terms of proxy control you know it, it can also control the opponent's posture so using you know basically grabbing like uh the collar is a direct it's not a lever but it's like it, it's the lapel that's connected to their head it's almost like mm-hmm. you're connecting like a a tie <laughs> yeah or you're grabbing someone's tie and uh it, it's directly related to his posture so things like playing collar sleeve grip in the open guard or taking a horse collar grip, which is the grip behind the neck. You know, if someone's coming up, that's on the sing- scruff of the neck grip, right? Where that's you like, right. you basically grab someone from behind, like you're like, you know, like, like a mother's a mother kitten. Yeah. So you just basically <laughs> grab behind the neck and they kind of, you pull them back, right? That's which, common which, when you're trying to jump on someone's back. Exactly. Trying to take the back. It's great for taking the back. Um, it's great for, you know, if someone's coming up on a single leg on you and you have that grip, you can punch their head down. A lot of throws take uh, not necessarily the horse collar grip with the fingers inside, but uh, the material behind the neck mm-hmm. is is uh, applicable for a lot of uh, uchimata type throws. Why is it called the horse collar? Do horses wear geese? No, and I don't think you grab a horse by that collar anyways, uh, that grip anyways, but I don't know. That's just the name that I've been, I've been given. I don't even know who coined it. Yeah. What would you call it? 
I well, I call it the horse collar because I kind of like that name and it's catchy. Yeah. I mean, I I always called it the scruff of the neck grip or the like grab the tag on the back of their gi that says made in Pakistan grip or something like that, right? Uh, but basically, it means where you kind of grab them from like it's like you grab the scruff of the neck. So horse collar is as good a name as anything. Yeah, and this is really important. Yeah. This if you are an equine specialist and you know about horses, write in and explain to us why it's called the horse collar. <laughs> You're going to piss them off too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, obviously collar grip's super important when you're doing like standing techniques, judo, mm-hmm. you know, breaking posture and whatnot with yeah. that collar grip. So, And the, the one thing that's great about a collar grip, especially from stand up, but even from the open guard is you can just go for a collar drag at any time. It's a super mm-hmm. low tech, super powerful way to off balance your opponent. Just, you know, basically fall back and yank their collar. It's incredibly effective, even at very, very high levels. The direct control equivalent, which is basically a snap down, is a lot harder to do. And you're not going to get as much control if you try to snap yeah. someone's head down versus yanking their collar. So exactly. it's another example of where sometimes the proxy actually can be more powerful than direct direct control or at the very least it opens up other options that are very powerful Mm -hmm. like a snap down you know as long as your as your partner uh if your partner can just regain their posture and base or if they you know they can if it's really sweaty even they can slip out of but uh something like a an over the back grip or a, a collar grip the grip will need to be dealt with and broken usually with two hands by your opponent before they can proceed so mm-hmm. yeah like you said very powerful got it um also you know you can use proxy control to control the rotation of your opponent's torso so you see this a lot of different th- in a lot of different ways again talking about throws uh certain uh, ashiwaza techniques where you're using foot sweeps it requires a lot of rotation and footwork to be able to set these foot sweeps up. Um, <clears throat> even lapel guards, like we were talking about worm guard and stuff like that. One of the main features of the worm guard is that you're pulling down on the lapel, which breaks posture, but you're also pulling the gi jacket around the, your opponent's back. So yeah, you're it twisting turns their, their body. body. Yeah, and, and anytime, in, whether it's judo or jujitsu, if you can twist your opponent's uh, torso, you, you create vulnerability, right? So that's... Uh, That's another feature of the... Yeah, so this is one of the really weird things about proxy control. When you're talking about direct control, generally in jujitsu, your strategy is, I want to grab one of the five levers sticking out of your body, which is like your legs, your arms, your head, and I want to move you around. Very rarely do you want to actually attack the torso or or the core directly because that's the source of your strength, right? I mean, it is possible to body lock and suplex someone and just throw them. But generally, unless you're a super athlete, that's not really something that you're going to be doing. Normally, if you want to be efficient and do jujitsu, you don't attack the core, you latch onto a lever and you manipulate the legs, the arms, or the head. But the weird thing about proxy control is you can attack the torso sometimes. You can wrap the lapel around the guy's body and basically tie him up like the freaking AT-ATs in Star Wars where, you know, you you run the rope around them and they fall over. You can do stuff like that around their body and just because by restricting their movement and by using the lapel, you can get so much leverage that it doesn't really matter that you're attacking the strong part of their body. And that's one of the weird things about proxy control is in some cases you can break the rules in proxy control. Like the, the, you know, the hierarchy of the anatomy tells us you generally don't want to try to like attack someone's core and their torso, but with the gi that can kind of vary if you can get enough leverage and you can get enough torque off of the the lapel. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, if you're on, if you're on your opponent's back, one of my favorite grips is the under the armpit grip on the lapel. And that, 
again controls their rotation yeah, so yeah 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 you know if i take that grip on your far side i know you can't turn into me so what do you call that i mean i've always kind of called that the backpack grip which is where you're like you're on their back you put your hands under their armpits and you grab from the back you grab their lapel one either with one or both hands right i've always called that like the backpack i think i would just call it like a, if i had both hands in that position maybe just like a double under grip yeah. i'm i don't know sometimes double i do that be, yeah sometimes i do that because even if you've got both underhook grips like that you're grabbing the lapel under the arm with both hands you can't really offensively attack the person yeah you have to let go yeah but you can hold that position for days so if you're fighting someone who's really squirmy you're really desperate to escape that's kind of a good way to break them of that and to get them to slow down and then i switch to more of a traditional seatbelt. or to stall if the clock is against you right yeah if you if you're trying to win a match you can do that yeah uh you can also i love that grip uh using that grip to feed maybe you take one of the hands out and go over top now and you can feed lots of bow and arrow chokes yeah 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 i mean I i think that in terms of I mean, I know you want to talk about submissions later, but in terms of proxy control, like the the power submissions like the bow and arrow are one of the things that really differentiate it. But while we're talking about rotation, one of the other weird rules you can break with proxy control is you don't always need to be hunting for the inside channel. You know, when, when you're talking like Nogi, if you look at almost any classification of like nogi wrestling or grappling you're always hunting for the inside channel right you're always wanting underhooks you're always wanting butterfly hooks you always want to have your head on the inside you never want to be in a situation where you're around on the outside but with proxy control that changes you know if you're doing like the delahiva guard or if you're doing worm guard you are actually putting your legs around your opponent rather than on the inside mm-hmm. But that's okay because by using the gi, you can hold them in this weird position where they cannot turn back around to face you. So even though you do not have the inside channel, you are using the proxy grip to force them to look away from you. So it's kind of a weird situation where something like that, you you could do it in no gi, but it's not going to be necessarily the wisest or the most powerful strategy. You always want, generally want to go for inside channel and no gi, but in the gi, it's like, as long as you can use the gi to prevent the person from facing you, you're in a pretty good spot. Yeah. Or if you can, or if you can use the, the proxy control to constantly break their balance, like in a, mm-hmm. in an open guard scenario, then you can definitely keep your legs on the outside. Yeah. Channel. Like Dela Heva guards, a great example exactly. of that where you're, yes, your, your hook is on the outside of their legs, but you're wobbling the person back and forth consistently. And with the lapel grips, you really have that control that prevents them from turning back to face you. But it's not really an apples and apples situation because until we see heel hooks allowed with the gi, then we'll never really know for sure. Like if, yeah. if heel hooks were allowed in the gi, we might see people going for a lot more heel hooks if someone takes the outside channel. Maybe, but I, I per, now I am not a leg lock specialist, but I personally find that if someone is really intent on tying me up with the lapel, it's very hard to get the extension that you need um, when you go for a leg lock because if, like, for example, if you pull worm guard on me and I sit back for an ankle lock or, or oh, there's lock, no way that'll happen. It's, it's just impossible because that lapel is like you can use it like a frame. It blocks me from getting the leverage, so yeah. it kind of weakens some of those leg lock approaches. But that said, I mean, like you said, until people really start experimenting with this in the gi, it's hard to know for certain. Yeah, I think I think we'd find that heel hooks in the gi aren't like it wouldn't be more dangerous. I don't I don't really believe that. In fact, I think it would be harder to leg lock people in the gi. That's much just, I expect it to be much harder. That's yeah. that's my um that's just my uh, 
guess i've never went for helix in the gi oddly enough which is kind of funny because i I just assume it'd be a waste of time just because Mm -hmm. there's not really a competition where you could do that yeah but um i I think it would actually be harder to do leg locks in the gi because you know there's so much proxy control on on your partner i think it would make their defenses a lot more simple yeah 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 i agree i do like in nogi if if you out me in the 411 and you're digging a heel hook and i'm hand fighting you and uh it's slippery a lot of the time i can't sustain a strong grip on that arm but if you have a gi and i just grab the cloth that happens a lot to me i mean you I, know like or, yeah. or if or if you're going back for an ankle lock and i just grab your collar that's a defense that doesn't really exist in no and gi. it's a very valid defense guys yeah. do that to me all the time when i go for an ankle lock is yeah. they'll just grab my collar and i can't get the extension i yeah, need you can't posture yeah and they can so. also use that collar to pull themselves up so factors like that make leg locks i mean they're, they're far from useless they're still very effective in the gi but nowhere near to the extent that they are in no gi for example and like you said because nobody really or at least no one that i know trains heel hooks in the gi it's just not something that i'm particularly fluent with and i haven't seen a lot of experimentation with it yeah they should let that happen they should i mean we've we've talked about this before i kind of feel like most of the stuff that is legal in no gi should just be legal in gi i don't think that at least at black belt yeah 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 i i mean honestly other than toe holds i'm not really scared of any of the submissions that can like the toe holds are the only one i worry about because it's very hard to prevent your opponent from getting injured even with heel hooks which are you know very dangerous you do have control but with toe holds i find it's very hard to gauge the damage and you can accidentally snap a person's ankle or pop their knee without trying but yeah like the the one that really baffles me is knee bars i have absolutely no clue why that is a brown belt technique i mean you've got to really really try to hurt someone with a knee bar because you're attacking such a powerful muscle so unless the other person just flat out refuses to tap and you are hell-bent on breaking their leg like i i have never seen an actual injury from a knee bar as far as i can remember in my 12 years of training like it just someone is going to tap in training way before it gets to that point at least from my experience yeah i think i think where people get into problems with knee bars is when the knee bar is sort of locked out and then they try and spin or Mm -hmm, they try and mm -hmm. like you know they'll try really hard to like retract that leg or something and that's where the 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 two opposing forces kind of meet each other and you might get an injury yeah that that is fair just the straight knee bar of you know pulling it backwards and hyper extending it is not super dangerous but if there's a twist on it that's a different story but i mean a lot of that is education for the person who's getting knee bar you just have to learn that don't spin out of a knee bar like that or you're going to injure your ligaments. And well, that's I, the same thing about reaping. Right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's the, it's the knowledge. The only thing is, as we saw like the other, uh, maybe a month ago, Cub Swanson fought Jake Shields and he got reaped by Jake Shields and then just totally turned the wrong way and blew his own ACL uh, completely. That sounds right? terrible. Which was stupid because there's no heel hooks allowed in that competition. So he really could have just turned and been pretty safe. But yeah, it's just, mm. it's just a lack of like understanding when you should turn and which way you should turn and i have a 100 percent successful heel hook defense that has never failed me and that is when my opponent goes for a heel hook i stop the roll and i yell at them and tell them this is an ibjjf club and they're not allowed to do that <laughs> and then they never do it again works every time it's the perfect heel hook defense yeah <laughs> do you uh where would you put uh straight knee bars if you were in charge of ibjjf set? like blue what? belt blue belt i don't i don't i think uh slicers and straight knee bars are not that dangerous um i would put toe holds and heel hooks at 
purple maybe i'm not a fan of putting them at brown or black because the problem with having them that late in the game is people have already kind of developed and solidified their games at that point and you're introducing very fundamental knowledge at a very late stage in the game it would be like if you weren't allowed to do like arm bars until brown belt you know by the time you get to brown belt there's this whole massive complicated area of the game that's very fundamental that you should know but you were denied that opportunity i feel having not trained with a lot of these techniques until brown belt that i'm denied that opportunity and with the training partners i have usually being the senior guy on the mat i still can't use those moves that much because when i'm training in the gi i'm not going to toe hold or knee bar some blue belt i'm sparring with right so it impedes my training as well um i think that once people get the spazziness out of their system i think they should be allowed to use those moves and i find usually by purple belt you're there you know you're not going to see many purple belts who are going to spaz and try to like kill someone on the mats and crank a heel hook more than they should white belts are a definite no for me Uh, blue belts are iffy but i think by purple belt you know everyone should have the self-control to know how not to injure their training partner yeah i i think i think in terms of heel hooks if you're wearing a gi it's going to be harder to get uh, a strong dig and easier Mm -hmm. to maintain a strong dig you know what i mean i agree yeah so if you like if you have to dig out a heel hook there's too much friction friction. yeah the friction will make it more and and just the lack of sensitivity you'll you won't you know it'll be a little bit trickier to get the heel into position but once it gets in position i think it'll be stickier but what you might actually find is that people start using clever ways to use the gi as proxy control to tie up the submission tighter like people might start unlocking tricks to do that where by like using the lapel or the pant leg or something they're able to actually tighten the submission versus loosening it 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 could happen i mean you you see that happen with a lot of other submissions right where people will use grips to to tighten an arm bar or to prevent their opponent from escaping an arm bar you could conceivably see the same thing with foot locks yeah yeah too bad we're denying ourselves that awesome world of possibilities get on it ibjjf make it (laughs) make it possible yeah i i think it's only a matter of time i mean i actually don't even understand what the resistance is anymore to that you know it i just I don't see the risk of injury, especially at, you know, like a purple belt level plus of being so high that heel hook should just be this forbidden technique. Not when you're allowing things like toe holds and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to tell me that you want to ban like a twister or a cervical crank, okay, fine. I I can accept that for the sole reason that that is not a realistic way to end a real fight. Well, I mean, but it's like, it's not realistic, right? Because the thing is. If I have to, like, in a self-defense situation, I'm not going to kill somebody <laughs> if they refuse to tap. I mean, I might... What, re- with a twister? Yeah, well, like, I... You might. No, no, what I'm saying is I wouldn't do a twister in a real fight, even if it's a self-defense situation, because I'm not willing to kill a person. You Whereas- should. You'd be a boss if you did that. <laughs> awesome but i mean like what i'm saying is i would i would not have reservations doing a heel hook to defend myself or an arm bar because i know that worst case scenario if the guy doesn't tap he's not going to die but the thing about like a cervical lock is if the guy someone or paralyzed yeah so in you could you can argue with those techniques that they're not really viable for real fights for the same reason we don't allow like eye gouges or biting um so for, for that i can understand why you wouldn't allow it um but for heel hooks i just don't get it i think they should be legal well, the trick is to not kill them with the twister. Just put the assailant in the twister and then hold them until police come. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? World star. Can you imagine? You're a cop. You get called to the scene and there's this dude holding another dude in a twister. He's like, I've been here for 15 minutes waiting for yeah. you guys. <laughs> 
It's yeah. so awesome. I mean, I think the, the thing, I mean, we're kind of off topic here, but the thing about a lot of those what techniques. What are we talking about again? Yeah, I, I, we should do an episode just on twisters. Now, we were talking about direct and proxy control. So I, uh, yeah. I think the next thing you wanted to talk about is the power of using your grip as a placeholder. Yeah, and this is probably one of the main things about uh, proxy control that really makes it valuable. So using using the grip as a placeholder, there's so many diverse examples of this. Like, you know, uh, well, there's a few examples here. One, it would be like the uh, like a topside pin. You know, you have uh, in judo, they call it osakomi. It just means you have a topside pin that you're trying to hold to win the match. But um, one of my favorites is feeding the lapel out under the arm and then behind the back. And then I love the cross that. face grip. It's like that is like one of my favorite competition grips. If you need to kill a few minutes and just make the guy mm. hate life, it's really hard. And also, let's not forget how valuable at the same time the taint grip is. You know, when you're inside. Oh, the wedgie grip. You, the wedgie grip. Where you, you grab take the, the ass crack grip. Yeah. You, you know what? That I do, so annoying. You know what I do a lot of the time is I will take the guy's lapel and I will run it between his legs and then I'll try and pass his guard. And when he tries to turtle, I just yank up the lapel and it wedges him and pulls him right back to side control. Is that is that? To, oh, OK, I thought you were doing that just for pain and being an asshole well that too i mean that, <laughs> you're that, actually there's a purpose for doing that yeah that the main reason i'm doing that is for pain and to be an asshole but it also <laughs> happens to prevent him from turtling as a byproduct <laughs> it actually does something yeah. jujitsu related yeah my number one goal is just you know to be an asshole but my secondary goal is to do jujitsu <laughs> uh yeah that's good um yeah and you know even just like if i wanted to pin your shoulder a lot of the time i actually like to uh like grab the collar and and punch the collar into the armpit. You ever done that? That's a great grip too. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it gives you base because you're posting on that hand. Um, of course, like the uh, the reverse triangle at the Chinese buffet. If you get to that position, there's a common... Okay, so explain this to me because I, I have heard you and Mike Lee, your your business partner, refer to this Chinese buffet. That's just the name that he calls it. It's, Why does he call it that? Because there's so many different things you can choose from once you get there. So if you get to the like the inverted triangle, you know, that where you're where uh, he's face up, almost like from the crucifix, right? Like there you have the Kimura, wrist lock, arm bar. On the other side, there's the uh, triangle, there's chokes. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just I'm now that you've explained it to me, I'm kind of like this is a simultaneously stupid but also awesome name yeah, for that. This position. is what he calls it. A bunch of our listeners are gonna be like, who calls it that? Well, uh, now everyone's gonna call it that. So okay, so Chinese buffet. So for future uh, reference, the inverted triangle uh, position is the Chinese buffet because there's a lot of options to choose from. That is hilarious. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like any t- like using um from that position, if you have a Kimura control, a common judo technique is taking the skirt and then passing it to the hand that has the Kimura and that frees up your other arm to go for chokes and mm-hmm. stuff. So that's a great placeholder that you can use. Um, I really like, uh, like if you're doing like a 360 arm bar, one thing you can do to make it super tight is once you have the arm trapped, you can grab your own lapel. Mm-hmm. And so you're pretty much guaranteed that that arm can't go anywhere and it really yeah. limits the rotation. Grabbing well. your own gi is underrated. It's super underrated. Yeah. And actually spending so much time lately doing no gi, I forget how effective that can be. If you're trying to isolate a lever, you can totally grab your own gi and posture up with it. And it's it, going for an arm bar. It's, yeah. it's awesome. Um, and then, and then one of my favorite type of attacks from, from, uh, from the bottom position would be, it's a funny name. I don't think a lot of people call it this, but I've heard, I heard Cyborg coin this in one of his DVDs that he made like 15, 20 years ago. And he calls it the dental cloth. What is this? Okay. So essentially all it is, is you pull the lapel out. Imagine you're doing a worm, but you can't get your leg into the wormhole. So you just pass the leg through, uh, pass the lapel through the legs. So you're in a sit up guard, like a half guard, and you pass the lapel through the legs to the other hand. 
Oh, between their legs? Between their legs. Yeah, and he calls it the dental cloth. He grip. calls it the dental cloth, yeah. Because I guess he's like passing a piece of floss through the legs. Ah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Although, why doesn't he just call it the floss grip? Yeah, that'd, that'd be weird. If you're Brazilian, I think it's, write a, I think in it's and lost in translation. Yeah, I'm not going to yeah. lie. This, this sounds but, like it might, it's probably some like local dialect thing. Cause, but I, I kind of get the idea. Like it's a it's like dental floss. That actually yeah. makes sense. And this is actually like one of my favorite grips. It's so effective. Um, you can, and there's so many ways you can use it. Like I, if I set up worm, a lot of the time the I can't get my foot into the wormhole, but I can get the dental claw. So I'll just, I'll just feed the lapel as if I was in worm guard without my leg. Yeah, and as yeah. a result, I can now use that leg to like get up on singles. And it's also, like it. It, it's great for dog fighting because you can, if you can get that dental cloth and grab the lapel and pass it between their own legs and then use your, you know, yeah, then use your other hand to great. grab the collar. Yes. Like you can, do, you can dog fight up to a single leg without any difficulty at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, and that's like such an effective guard. Uh, and so, so easy to get too. like, you can go for, um, you can, you can set up, like if you have a deep Delahiva, you can do Delahiva X with that grip. It's such a pain in the ass. Right. Um, yeah. So that, that's like definitely a grip that I think is, is old school, but super effective. I hate when guys get that on me. Yeah. It's so annoying. annoying. Yeah. Cool. So um, should me, we talk about subs? Yeah. So using using the gi as a submission. So you know, we t- obviously the 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 obvious example would be the bow and arrow choke, the is- worst choke in all of jujitsu. When I go to class, and no, they- that's the Ezekiel choke. Yeah. No, no. I I mean worst in like the most brutal. Because when yeah. I go to class and they say, well, actually the Ezekiel's brutal. But when I go to class and they say today we're practicing the bow and arrow choke, I just think. Oh, I'm going to feel like I have a cold tomorrow because <laughs> because people are going to murder my throat so bad. Like it is it is probably one of the most brutal chokes to get stuck in. I mean, I don't mind getting submitted by most submissions, but the bow and arrow choke just in terms of like pain and effectiveness, there's really nothing quite like it. It is a deadly, deadly choke. Yeah, I think probably the most common submission in, in gi jiu-jitsu. I would say that, so. That you'll see. And you can get it from, from a, back. And you can get it from a lot of positions. You know, my, totally. my mind was kind of blown when I realized you don't need to be on the person's back to get the bow and arrow choke. You can set it up from turtle, from side control, from all over the place. Just if you have that lapel grip and you start moving your body, you can wind up in a position where you're just in a bow and arrow choke. Yeah, like what's funny is if somebody if somebody's primarily a, a nogi grappler and they're used to having people on their back, you know, p- the main attack from there is going to be the rear naked choke. So yeah. they get good at defending the rear naked choke. That's but a if, hard sub to do in the gi, though. There's just so much friction. It is hard to do in the gi, but but even if certain defenses that work in nogi for the rear naked choke will not work if you put a gi on because mm-hmm. all you really need is that lapel grip. Once you secure that grip, it's kind of my favorite thing there, in the world. Right? My favorite thing in the world is when the wrestler or MMA badass shows up to gi class for the first time and they just get choked out mercilessly because they've never seen these moves before. Yeah, it happens. That only lasts for about a week and then they learn how to defend it and then they just go back to murder. But it's still, it's a good week. Which is important why, again, like this just only hammers home my whole jujitsu philosophy, which is hammers home my whole, I just said. Mm -hmm. That's a soundbite for you. That's an Uh, island top team philosophy there. Yeah. Rory's going to cut that up and have a field day. Um, why you should learn both gi and no gi. And I mm-hmm. guess the real reason is because you're trying to get experienced with proxy and direct control. And then I guess that full that full spectrum, that full view of jiu-jitsu, it basically will give you just, I think, a deeper understanding of jiu-jitsu. That's just my... I know some people say, oh, well, if you want to be a high-level grappler in no gi, you just... You have to just dedicate your time to nogi. I, I, you know, I, I, I do agree with that too. Like, I think, I, I think that they are two different sports, even though that's the same sport, you know, 
I've, I've used this analogy before where I just compare it. Uh, it's like ice hockey and ball hockey. They're the same sport, but completely different styles, completely different techniques and, and skill sets. Right. Um, but if you play better ball hockey, will that make you a better ice hockey player? Possibly. You might you might get better cardio because you're constantly running around, right? In ice hockey, you 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 can stop moving and you still glide, right? Mm-hmm. You can. It's way easier to take a slap shot in ice ice hockey as opposed to ball hockey because in ball hockey it's like you're running while you're shooting, which is extremely difficult. Um, so just like you know, just the more the more you do, and that's how I've always looked at it. If you if you understand proxy and direct control, you're always going to be more knowledgeable than somebody that is just a specialist in one area. That yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that you'll defeat a specialist who just trains in the gear, just trains no gi, but you know, that's just been sort of my holistic approach to jujitsu since white belt. Yeah, it's a tough one. And I mean, I don't really compete and I'm a hobbyist, so I'm not the best person to ask, but generally speaking, yeah, you'll probably want to focus on training the area that you plan to compete in. I mean, it makes sense that if you want to do no gi, you'll spend most of your time training no gi, but I do generally feel that you will get something out of training both of them. If if nothing sure. else, it'll broaden your horizons. But I've always felt, for example, that training in the gi has dramatically improved my defense. Because in the gi, it's so easy for a person to grab and control you. It's so easy for a person to pull a choke or a submission out of nowhere. You get very good at shoring up your defense. Where I have always found that training no gi helps you shore up your offense for the opposite reason, right? Everything is so slippery. You have far fewer options to actually submit someone in most cases because you don't have a lot of the gi chokes in play. So I find that to really be good at no gi, you have to be exceptional at controlling a person, right? You can't just rely on grabbing their lapel and holding them in place. So I kind of feel like you get something out of a a bit of both. There's also this concept of interleaving, which we've talked about before, and it kind of shows that if you want to actually learn faster, sometimes it's better to shake things up rather than just doing the same thing over and over again. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to learn how to be really, really good at gi, for example, it might be a good idea to sprinkle in some no gi, sprinkle in some judo, sprinkle in some wrestling, even some MMA. Just the process of shaking it up can actually help you learn faster. So something to try. I mean, if you yeah. feel like, you, you know, if you're only ever doing one of these variants, I do suggest that at the bare minimum, you give other things a try and maybe work some variety into your training because it might help you break plateaus in ways that you didn't expect totally and i think that that's a lot of athletes have been doing stuff like that for a long time like uh just a few months ago i had a a a youth soccer team come in and it's their off season and they were uh they did some like dry land training with us and we wrestled and choked each other out and did a bunch of grappling Mm -hmm. stuff and the whole idea the whole vision from their coach was that you know, we're, we're going to do a, a team building exercise that's different from soccer because all they do is soccer, soccer, soccer. Makes sense. So it's like you do something else and you move your body in different ways and you realize like, oh, maybe I can learn this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's for me, one of the main things that we've discussed before, I think, did we do an episode on interleaving? No, no, no. We've talked about it in the past. Someone wrote in and kind of mentioned yeah. that, but it's a, a really, really interesting idea. Yeah. And I'd like to learn more about it. Yeah. Like I, I started refereeing and I really find that that has helped me. Now, now when I train, I can't not think about points, which is like a gift and a curse because sometimes I just want to get in there and roll, but I I can't not think about points now. So mm-hmm. it's like, no matter what happens, I'm always keeping a score in my head. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really beneficial if, for those of the, uh, for those of you that are listening that are competitors, if you don't actually look at the, um, how the referee is looking at the match, then, you know, you're denying yourself a huge part of the understanding of the game. In my opinion, that's, that's something that i I recommend for any competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and then the last ex- uh, example that I could think of 
in terms of proxy and direct control is going to be using a combination of both. So using a direct lever control and gripping the gi. So um, a really cool example of this, Keenan posted maybe a month ago on this new leg drag that he's working on. He essentially takes, uh, you know, he, he grabs the ankle with one hand and the other hand he grabs the pants, mm. right? Or sometimes you'll take like a sleeve grip with, with one hand and the other hand you grab the wrist directly. So there's like, there's a lot of different ways you can, you can do this. You know, even like a, a collar sleeve example um, with a Delaheva hook, technically your Delaheva hook is controlling direct control of your of your opponent's leg right so a combination of this it could be advantageous because you know on one hand you're controlling a you have a fixed grip that you know won't break and on the other hand you have a direct control to the lever so you can find a lot of different results from that type of control and yeah it's quite effective mm -hmm. yeah 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 i mean when i play delahiva of course, you've got the Delaheva hook on one side. I also like to use my hand on the same side to grab the ankle. I know a lot of people will grab like the cloth or they'll grab the sleeve. But with my free hand, a lot of the time I'm looking for the collar or I'm looking for the same. sleeve. So it's a combination where you're using a direct on one side and a proxy on the other side. Yeah, if you are if you have a Delaheva, I know you don't play Delaheva too often. I do sometimes, but like I don't use it as a sweeping position. I use it more as a distance management tool. Do you like to grab the pants or the the ankle? Ankle. Always the ankle. Me too, but I, you, you know, you see so many high-level gi guys grabbing the yeah. pants. I think the pants grip is probably harder to break, but I find that For the sure. ankle grip is easier to get, if that makes sense. When I'm trying to get into Delaheva, I don't want to be spending all my time trying to get my fingers set up just the right way. I want to just grab it and go. And I find that it's easier for me to just reach over and cup the ankle versus I always find whenever I try to grab the leg material, I always screw it up. I'm just not able to get the grip fast enough because usually when, when you're going for the leg, I find you've got just like a split second because the other guy, if his footwork is good, you don't want to be waiting and taking your time trying to get that grip. I just like to slap on the ankle grip. And even if it's not perfect, at least I've got something. I think by default, I go there too. But like, mm -hmm. let's say, let's say you're going to, um, you have that Delaheva ankle and collar co combination, and then you do like an off balance to the side and try and come up for a single it's going to be way easier to keep that if you've ankle, got the pant grip. if you have the pants Definitely. as opposed to cupping the ankle right yeah. so there's totally advantages and disadvantages to having the the gi and even things like um like from the headquarters a lot of the time i wouldn't recommend grabbing the ankle i'd recommend grabbing the pants because if you grab the pants you can kind of play a side to side game and 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 switch sides sort of uh you know, in, in succession, as opposed to grabbing the ankle, then it kind of limits the ability that you have. Cause if you push that leg to the side, you might lose your grip or whatever. If you yeah, have the pants, yeah. you can sort of move side to side. You can also float the guy's leg a bit, right? If you've got, uh, if you're just grabbing the ankle and the guy starts trying to say knee cut past you, you're not going to be able to keep that ankle grip. But no. if you're grabbing the fabric, yeah. you can kind of lift the guy's leg up. You can still move your hand a bit. There's a bit more give to it. So it's it's a bit more forgiving. Yeah, it really depends on what you're you're trying to do. If you're playing Delahiva and your intent is really to sweep the person, I think you're best going for the cloth grips. But if like me, you're just using it as a transition to slow the guy down while you move on to something else, like it's just you're kind of a distance management tool then i don't think it's as critical to go for grabbing the cloth i think you can just get away with grabbing the ankle but i agree that most of the guys i know who really know delahiva they will say grab the cloth on the leg don't grab the ankle mm -hmm. yeah, you, see, you see like guys like miragali like pure gi jujitsu grapplers that are you know really high level on today's stage 
almost always grab the pants. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Leandro Lowe and all the all pretty much everyone out of Atos goes for that pant grip. For me, it bothers the shit out of my fingers. I don't know. I, I find yeah. a lot of these grips are really hard on my fingers. So that's why I have abandoned a lot of that sleeve and pant grip stuff. It's not because I it's effective. I, I mean, I know it's effective, but it's because I like my fingers. <laughs> so I've kind of adapted my game for the purpose of self-preservation. And I find that, yeah, a lot of spider guard type stuff or leg grip type stuff where you're grabbing the pant leg material, it's just really, really hard to do that in a way that is safe for your fingers. So it's, that's kind of a trade-off that you've got to make, right? I mean, if you're real, if you just really, really, really want to take care of your fingers, it might not be a good idea to set up those types of grips. Whereas the, the nice thing about stuff like uh, worm guard or a lot of the lapel stuff is you tend not to have that problem because you're doing more of a fist grip on the lapel than a finger grip. I find yeah, it a lot like safer. Like you're filling your whole hand rather than yeah. using your fingertips like yeah. a claw grip. That's how I do the Ezekiel choke. I mean, people always ask how I'm able to do it without getting my fingers all screwed up. It's because I put my whole fist in my sleeve, so I'm not just using my fingers. That's and the main difference. That and you use grabs. That is true. Yeah, Gra- it's true. hey, grabs are awesome. Grabs are absolutely. For those who don't know, these are the like um, the like jujitsu mittens that we've been talking about. Basically, they're like spandex gloves that are intended to replace um, kinesio tape or like grappling tape, and they they stay on a lot better. I I've actually started using them, and once you get used to them, they do work super super duper well. And plus, they're endorsed by Kurt Angle, so yeah. that for me was the thing that drove it home. Yeah. Yeah, we'd like to thank our sponsor. Graps. <laughs> I, I was actually talking to them. I would love to get sponsored by those guys or, or basically anyone who would pay us money. Like as long as it's not dick pills or vapes, I would be happy to take sponsorship money. I think you just want to wear them because so you look more like Gambit. Basically, basically. Uh, speaking of wrestling, did I tell you I got someone with a sharpshooter the other day? Oh, God. Why do you go for things like that? You're, you're sending the wrong message. It's not about getting the submission. It's about humiliating the other person to the point where they have to rethink their entire life that's really what i'm going this for. was probably a white belt and keep in mind steve's a black belt and we've yeah. done episodes on gym etiquette and how we should oh i am raise ab- the level in the room and be good training partners and now he's talking about sharpshooting someone are you are you telling me that bret hart was not one of the greatest of all time a well, canadian hero he's he's the best there was the best there is and the best there ever will be that is true that is true. I actually honestly liked Owen Hart more. Uh, if you ever watch Owen Hart's old videos. Owen Hart was awesome. His actual technical skill, I think, is better than Bret Hart. Like, the things that he would do is mm-hmm. actually super impressive. Yeah, yeah too, I agree. Too bad that was a tragedy. We should, we should do a whole podcast on wrestling and jiu-jitsu crossover. Like WWF? Yeah, we should do it. Yeah, we should do that. I don't have anything else to add. We should should totally do that. One more more example of proxy control and direct control that I think is super valuable is like going for singles when you have a collar grip. So Mm -hmm. I find that's one of like... Game changer. It's totally game changing. It's it's not the prettiest single legs you're ever going to get because a lot of them are just dirty singles. But like getting a collar grip and then dropping down for a single leg... The advantage to this is now we have control of our opponent's posture as we're doing the single Mm -hmm. leg, as opposed to wrestling, where you literally just have to rely on your ability to control the single leg and and your your finishes from there. And you have more bailouts, right? The thing about going for a single leg from the bottom is if you go for a dogfight and there's no gi to grab onto, if you fail, you're probably going to be compromised pretty badly. Whereas if you've got like that dental floss grip or you've got a collar grip and you go for a single leg... If you fail, it's not the end of the world. You can just fall back into a better position. Like you have a lot more options to keep yourself safe. Mm-hmm. 
And yes. I mean, you know, I don't like to do anything remotely related to wrestling. I like to just do lazy man jujitsu. So that's perfect for me. Pretty much. Yeah. That's basically my, like my favorite way to get the single is to go for that dental floss grip because it's so valuable. Oh, it's, it's so, so, it's brutal. Like if you play a lot of the time, I'll go for like a Della Hiva. And then depending on where it goes, I like the sit up guard. And yeah. the, what I like is if, you know, the one, one really important aspect when you're, when you're starting to do jujitsu and you don't really understand the gripping concepts, you know, how come my grip keeps getting ripped and how do I make my grip stronger? A lot of the time, that's not necessarily the answer. I find, I think a better answer is understanding that, um, when you take a certain grip, you're going to create a reaction from your opponent and they're going to either address that grip or, mm-hmm. you know, they might try and keep passing, but depending on well, where we talked are, about that, that's a, that's a dubious strategy. Yeah. It's not really, you, usually your partner on top will, will deal with the grip or break the grip but but not necessarily holding on as tight as you can but more so understanding where the next grip is to be made and then having sort of a sequence there so playing a setup guard where you know you're you're trying to control or um you know you're trying to control your partner's sleeve if they break the sleeve i immediately go to the lapel Mm -hmm. you know and that's sort of if i feel like they're 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 making a strong grip if i have a collar grip and they're making a strong grip on my hands, I know that grip's going to get broken. So why hold on longer than I have to? Mm-hmm. I just let go and try and make a different grip, right? Yeah. So that's just, you know, one of the one of the things that I guess is so frustrating with learning the gi is understanding the gripping sequences that go along with it. Yeah, in... The, Doesn't no, exist really in no gi. Yeah, in no gi, if someone grabs you, it feels like you just, your body intuitively kind of has an idea of what to do about it. But in the gi, it just feels like it's hopeless because it feels like someone grabs you and then you break the grip and then they grab you again and then you break the grip and it just is never ending. And it takes a long time to get used to how easy it is for people to grab your gi and how much power they can actually get off of that. Especially if you spar with a spider guard or a Delaheva guard or a worm guard specialist, man, it's demoralizing for the first while because it is, yeah. especially if you've never trained in the gi, it is shocking the amount of control someone can get over you just by grabbing your cloth. Like it is just absolutely ludicrous when you think about it. Yeah, it's annoying. So I grip fighting and grip sequences are such such an important part of the gi game. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to learn that. <clears throat> so anything else you want to add on the topic of direct control versus proxy control, Matt? Not really, no. Uh, but my recommendation is, as a grappler, is, you know, if you don't know really what you want to do, gi or no gi, do both. It's, yeah. I think it's... At least try it, right? Like yeah. at least be able to make an informed decision and say, I tried it, I don't like it better that than just to do the same thing over and over again and never experience the variety out there because i think you will be surprised at how much you're able to augment your game by adding in other things that you normally don't do Mm -hmm. cool so to recap the mental models we talked about today the whole theme of the episode was direct control versus proxy control again direct control means you're grabbing someone's body directly proxy control means you're grabbing something attached to their body instead of the body itself In our case, that usually means the gi and its variants. We talked about kazushi, the Japanese art of balance breaking, critical for martial arts like judo. And in the context of this conversation, uh, proxy control has a whole level of things you can do when it comes to kazushi, especially being able to use the collar to get quick kazushi on someone and off balance them. We talked about the phases of guard. So basically the guard is broken up into three phases, engage, engagement, maintenance, and retention. And in the context of this conversation, when you're in that engagement phase, proxy control is super important because your ability to gain and use grips for leverage allow gives you an extra layer in your defenses beyond just using your hands and your legs. 
We talked about committed techniques, uh, the theory that whenever you do really anything, you should understand what is the downside to this? What is the worst case scenario that can happen if something goes wrong? And one of the nice things about many types of proxy control is that there's not a lot of downside. If you grab someone's lapel and it doesn't work out, you can just abandon it. It's not like they're going to be able to use that to pass your guard. Uh, it's generally a pretty safe way to add another layer of defense into your game. We talked about the anatomic hierarchy. This is basically the theory that different parts of your body are stronger than others. The strongest part of your body, of course, is your torso or your core. In the gi, you have the ability to use lapels to wrap your opponent up and attack the torso in ways that you generally don't do in nogi. It's very hard to directly control someone's core. Not impossible, but it's hard. But with the gi, you do have the ability to do it. We talked about inside channel control. Again, in nogi, you're generally always going for inside channel control, but in the gi, you don't have to because by grabbing onto someone's lapel, you can force them at an awkward angle where they can't face you and it can still be effective. And this makes things like Delaheva guard and worm guard effective where you aren't technically on the inside channel, but you can still really, really manipulate your opponent. And lastly, we talked about interleaving, which is the psychological theory that you can learn faster by shaking it up and mixing up related disciplines and learning them at the same time. So in the context of this conversation, our advice is shake it up a bit, give no gi and gi a bit a, a try. It's good to alternate between them both, even if your main area of focus is only one of them. You almost certainly will get some valuable experience by training in the other, at least occasionally. Mm -hmm. So Matt, I got a question for you. You're going to really like this one. Okay. Okay. Hey guys, I really like your podcast and the ideas you're discussing are helping me improve my game and train much more effectively. I listen to you guys almost every day. You are excellent communicators. I just had a few questions regarding the episode 13 titled Some Corrections. In episode six, you talk about idea communism and cross-training. Steve also mentions his slight dissatisfaction with the belt system in BJJ. Matt mentions if your professor demands loyalty or honor, then you ought to find a new gym. So my, my questions are, is demanding a stomach tattoo for your black belts different <laughs> from demanding loyalty? What exactly made you change your views about cross-training? Why do you first say idea communism is good, then say if one shows the techniques given to him by his professor to people from another gym, it is a betrayal of the professor's trust then isn't this podcast itself a minor betrayal of coach rob i'm just really confused because about every opinion in episode 13 is a 180 compared to the opinions expressed earlier also the don't question us we're black belts sounds like a total cop-out especially when you say in episode six that no one is all-knowing even if they were a black belt as you can see i'm an avid listener and big fan keep up the awesome work guys so God, did he really not get it? No, no. So for, for context, for those who just don't check the date of things, episode 13 was an April Fool's Day episode in which Matt and I basically just reversed course on everything. And I, to this day, we still get people who message us and think it was real. And I absolutely love getting these letters. Because, That's flattering, actually, because yeah. they think that or we sold it so well that they think that we were actually serious about it. Well, the it. most important thing is that they believe whatever we tell them without any sort of critical thought. That's what <laughs> yeah. I want out of our podcast listenership <laughs> yeah. is just unquestioning, unwavering loyalty. Yeah. Guys, like we're not that well, Steve is smart. I'm not that smart. Don't I don't know jujitsu though. <laughs> don't don't say every don't think that everything we say is uh shouldn't be questioned yeah okay? and you know just a general word to the wise I, I love that you guys take us so seriously but like matt is like a pro competitor and instructor i am not so when i say these things i'm basically aggregating lessons i've gathered from other people but 
please take everything we say here with a grain of salt, especially if it's from an episode released on April 1st. Okay, so that was a good chat. I hope you guys found this useful. I mean, if there's a at least some value you got out of this and learning the differences between gi and no gi and the types of control you have, uh, we're glad to have helped. Matt, anything else you want to add or can we tie this up? Yeah, let's tie it up. Cool. Guys, keep training. Have fun. Yep. We'll see you on the mats. Oh, I forgot the plugs. BJJMentalModels.com, yeah. our database. BJJMentalModels.com slash join. Sign up for our mailing list. BJJMentalModels.com slash store. Buy our stuff. And of course, follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. And if you want to reach out to us, that's probably the best way to do so. Now we can go train, right? All right. All right. See you guys next time. <laughs>